<laughs> yeah. We got a Ever. love seat. How, we do have a love seat, yeah. and we got baby swayses on the stage. Um, how old were you when you and I got married? 21. 21. I was barely 20. I just turned 21 two weeks before we yeah, got married. So you were essentially 20. Yeah. Not even old enough to drink in the States. Well, just barely. <laughs> Couldn't have champagne at our wedding. But yeah. And I was only 23. Like, we were really, really young when we got married. A lot of you guys found your spouse at a really young age. How many of you guys in the audience were married before 20? Anybody? Oh, don't okay. A couple of hands. Not many. How many guys are 40 and still not married? No, no, no. Don't, don't raise your hand there. That's a joke. I don't actually want you to raise your hand. That's, uh, yeah. All right, so today we're talking a little bit about singleness, and there are going to be a couple of temptations. One is going to be, for those of you guys that are single, to say, listen, you two have been together for 20 doggone years. What could you possibly know about being single? And there is some truth to that kind of fear or perspective, that we wouldn't get what it is that you guys go through, because we have never had a pro prolonged season of singleness in our life. That's number one. Number two is the world is a very different place today to be single than it was in the late 90s, early 2000s when we were single. They're like, guys, social media literally did not exist when we got together. There were no DMs to slide into, okay? Like, it was just like, if you wanted to meet somebody, you had to do it nose to nose. That I was the only way. I got my first text message from you. <laughs> when See, we there were you dating. go. Like, my very first text ever. Yeah, so the temptation is going to be to look at us and say, listen, you guys are married and that's awesome, but you don't know anything about what I'm going through. And that's fair, but I want to encourage you to recognize that the singleness myths that exist in 2022 are actually the exact same ones that exist existed in 2000 and existed in 1984 and existed even in the 1960s. The things that the world tells us about being single and why it's not the ideal situation, man, the same tired cliches and lies have been told for decades. You believed some of those yes, lies, didn't and, you? And I think it's so important for all of us to be on the same page here when we're talking about singleness. Like there's ideas and mindsets that even you and I have held and we put this on the single people in our lives. So if you're here today, don't tune us out just because you're not single, because I promise you it's going to be applicable. Mm -hmm. But there is definitely some stuff that I believed as a young single person. And, and this story doesn't shine me in the best light. But you know what? I was 18 and we all make mistakes. Let's go there. But <laughs> totally. So um, I went to high school at a, pro a public school. And so most of the people, most of the kids that I went to school with were not Christians. But when I was 13 years years old, I decided that God was calling me into the ministry. And so I knew like if I was going to get married, I need to marry somebody who is going into the ministry. So my bar was already like, <laughs> yeah. And, and so I decided, okay, God's calling me to go to Bible college. So I went and I had a lie, a myth in my head that as soon as I go to Bible college, like every single guy around me, they're all going to be Christian. But on top of that, they're all going to have this strong calling in their life. And every single one of them are going to be pastors. And it's going to be awesome. And I just have this huge dating pool right ahead of me. And so as a freshman in college, I jump all in. And I'm telling you, I went all in. <laughs> I tried on dating like I was trying on socks. 
Like I had a new boyfriend every single week. And, and, and I didn't even realize it until one of my friends, one of my sarcastic friends came up to me. He's like, hey, um, we have this bet going on in the guy's dorm that uh, who's the next guy going to be? How long is it going to last? And, and uh, how's it going to end? And I, it just occurred to me, like, I mean, I'm only 18, but that hit me in the face pretty hard. And I'm like, this is not what I'm here to do. And so I took a season. It was a short season, but it was nine months of like, <laughs> I mean, you know, we got married when I was 21. But, but I took nine months to just focus on God. And I was like, I'm not dating. I'm not looking. I'm nothing. And, and it was through that that God gave me Daniel. He was the next person I so dated. So cliche number one singles, just stop looking and you'll find the one. <laughs> that one's you. That one's I'm not you. doing that. I'm not doing that to you. I promise you a cliche free message when it comes to singleness. And listen, the truth of the matter is, okay, you don't want pastors that merely teach you out of their own experience because our experience is quite limited. We're of a certain age and generation. We come from a certain background. We come from a certain culture. And so if we only teach you about the things that we know from firsthand experience, then the uh, breadth of what we do on Sunday mornings is going to be pretty shallow or pretty I, I don't even know. The, there we go. Narrow. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, more importantly, what you want are a set of pastors that will teach you from the word, yeah. that will direct you to the scriptures, because the reality is the Bible can provide you wisdom when nobody around you seems to understand what you're going through. Right. When nobody else around you is single or nobody else around you is as single as you have been or for as long as you've been, the scriptures really can offer you perspective that you won't find anywhere else. So with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and we read um, Genesis chapter number two. This is the same chapter we read last week, but we're going to focus on a couple of different verses here. And I want to tell you guys, if you're here, and you're skeptical, and you're like, oh, great, they're going right to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and, you know, Adam and Eve and the serpent, and do they really believe this? Like, don't even worry about, like, how, how literally are we supposed to take all of this? That's not even the question for today. The question for today, I mean, I take it pretty seriously, but, you know, the question for today is really, could God be speaking to you through this text, through right. this story? And so, if so, you want to have open ears and not get caught up in distractions. So, let's read Genesis 2. We're going to start in verse 7, then we're going to skip to verse 18. It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closing up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because Whoa, she man. was, <laughs> woman, because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk through three myths about singleness. And these myths are present in our society. They're present in our culture. You're going to find out that some of these myths are even present in the church. These are lies. 
untruths, ways that God does not want you to view either a season or a life of singleness. And many of them, in fact, all three of them to a certain extent are addressed in this particular passage. And then we'll find others throughout the Bible that help to shed some light on what a singleness season is all about, why God would allow you to go through it. Why hasn't he ended it yet? So let's start with myth number one. This is an untruth that you may have been told at some point, singles are incomplete. Singles are incomplete. This is probably the most common myth. We see it in every rom-com that Hollywood produces, every Disney movie, every romance novel, every time somebody tells their story. How often have you heard them say, oh, I found my other half, right? I was incomplete. Something was missing from my life. We've got the famous line from old Jerry Maguire. You complete me. You complete me, right? There was something that I was missing Something about me that was incomplete until you came along. Where does this sense that singles are incomplete come from? This push and desire to get into a relationship to prove that your life is moving on and that you're a desirable and valuable person. Where is it that this particular desire push your comes mama. from? Your mom does, right? Grandma's always on the phone like, you got a boy yet? How come you're not married? You're 24. In my day, we were married at 15. You know, so like, yes, there's the family pressure. Your friends. Mm-hmm. Your, your friends that are constantly like, hey, I've got the perfect person. I met him at work. He, uh, is, yep. he is your person. You've got to meet him. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, we see it, like I mentioned, in movies. And hey, listen, we really do even get this myth inside of the church. After all, the verse we read a moment ago, Genesis chapter number 2, verse 16 or 17 says, God saw that it was not good that Adam was alone. See, even God says singleness is not good. You need a person in order to be complete. But you know what? I I don't want us to get caught up in that. That's a surface level question. I want us to ask an even more fundamental question. And that is, why is it that people desire relationships in the first place? Hey, listen, tigers live completely solitary lives until it's time to mate. And then they find other tigers, they hook up, and they go back to living their solitary life. There are some of you, and you're like, that sounds pretty good. I'm not even going to lie. People are difficult and messy. I'd rather not even deal with the stress of a relationship. Lord, let me be a tiger. Why is it, why is it that humanity throughout the millennia has always chosen to live together in community? Why is it we've always pursued friendships and business partnerships, romantic relationships, husbands and wives, marriages? Where does that come from? And the answer is actually found as much of this is in the beginning. See, if we go back to Genesis chapter number one, there's a verse we didn't read earlier, but I want to put it on the screen for you today. The verse says in Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, look, this is a very fascinating verse or set of words that's strung together here. Because if you pay attention, the word God is singular. And we are monotheists. We believe in one God only. There's not a pantheon of gods like the Greeks believe. You know, nature is not God like many religions believe. We believe there is one God. And the word for God here is singular. And yet, God uses plural pronouns when he's addressing himself. Real weird. Like, how can he be singular and plural? One of the foundational tenets of our faith as Christians is that God exists in eternal community. 
that God is a trinity, a tri-unity. There are three persons within the Godhead who exist in one essence. That's why we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now you say, wait, three in one, so there's three who are also God? No, 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 no. Three in one, not three gods, not one God who changes like hats and he's like, today I'm going to be the Son, in this generation I'm going to be the Spirit. No, no, no. Three who exist eternally, they are in relationship with one another as one God, one essence. Now you say, Dan, that makes no sense. My brain cannot logically comprehend all of that. You're right. Neither can mine. If anybody says, oh, here, I can explain to you the Trinity, it's like an egg, or it's like water, it's like H2O. If they try to explain the Trinity to you fully, know that they're wrong. Just straight up, they're wrong. And the reason for this is, if there is a God who exists, then you would expect him to be bigger than your brain can comprehend. See, if he is capturable by your thoughts and your language, then he is not God. God must transcend everything that humans could comprehend, everything that humans could articulate. So yeah, I get it. It's like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I don't understand how it computes. It's never going to compute. But what the scriptures tell us is true, that God exists in eternal community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when he says, let us make man in our image, make humanity in our image, he's talking amongst the three members of the Trinity. And what's important to recognize here is that God did not create humanity out of some sort of need or compulsion, some sort of lack. It's not like God was sitting around. He's like, dang, eternity is lonely. I need some people. Yeah, people sound good. I should make humans, mans and womans, and I can talk to them and we can hang out and play Catan. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> no, God didn't create out of necessity or lack. God created out of overflow. Yeah. God is love, the scripture says. God is eternal community. And so what this means is that God had so much love, he had so much community that he wanted more people to share it with. And so he creates not out of a lack, not because something was missing, not because he was lonely, but because he had so much love, so much joy, so much partnership and relationship within the Trinity that he wanted to share it with other cre created beings as well. Can I tell you something? The best relationship you can get into is not one driven by need, but one driven by overflow. Yes. Yes. See, we get ourselves in trouble when we pursue other people out of need. I need a spouse. I need a girlfriend. I need a boyfriend. Listen, if need is driving you, then you are not operating the way God designed you to operate. Instead, you're supposed to operate out of overflow. Listen, I am completely secure and stable in who I am, and I've got enough love and joy and goals and ambitions in the world that I'm looking for somebody else who is also secure in themselves to yes. share it with. Yes. Let your relationships be driven by an overflow or an abundance of confidence and love and joy and purpose in life rather than pursuing somebody because you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm incomplete. I'm still missing my other half I, year. I think that there's a really good example that God gives us, like even in reproduction, that we, you know, we become... <laughs> 
this wasn't in the notes. I don't know where this is going. I love Let's it when it. I do this Let's to him. So, so like, you know, we, we have children that come about, mm, but yeah. out of the overflow of the love that that couple has, like the, it's not out of the need. I have to have children in order to make it in society. No, it's the overflow of the love that the two yeah. of you have. And you're like, what we have is so great, so beautiful, so wonderful that here's the blessing that God gives us in order to just celebrate that, I'm glad right? The Holy just gave you that because yeah. that was good. I was a little unsure where it was going, <laughs> but actually, that was really that was a great point, babe. All right, so let's talk a little bit about you know we've heard this other half thing. Where does that come from? Does it come from the Bible? I mean, after all, the Bible says that two shall become one. So maybe that means Adam was half a person or half a being, and then Eve was half. No, this idea that we are all searching for our other half does not come from the Bible. It actually comes from Greek pagan philosophy. You remember Plato, not the fun factory stuff, but like Plato, the philosopher? He had, this is true. In one of his teachings, he said, okay, this is the way humanity came about. Originally, there was only one type of human and they had two heads and four arms and four legs and two sets, male and female reproductive organs. They had two heads, if I didn't already say that, two complete bodies that were meshed together and they could like cartwheel around the earth and they got too powerful. So Zeus decided, oh, we got to do something about this. So he took the humans and he ripped them in half. And so then there was a male and then there was a female. And so according to Plato's philosophy, he said this. This is actually a good, it's a very good line, but it's a lie. He says, love is simply the name for our pursuit of wholeness. Man, that sounds like a good Insta-caption, you know what I mean? The problem is it communicates to you that you are not complete until you find your person. That for the entirety of your life, you're still half. You're, you're not ready. You're not done. You're not who you're supposed to be. You're still wandering and searching and living less than you were intended to until that person comes along. That is so different from the perspective that the Bible gives. Adam was a whole person. Eve was a whole person, independent of their marriage or relationship to one another. The Bible doesn't say two halves become a whole. It says two people become one. They become united. So the math is completely different from a scriptural standpoint when it comes to singleness. Here's the reality. You, when we say I'm incomplete and I'm on the search for my other half, my other person, what you're really saying is I need somebody to save me. I need somebody to save me. I need somebody to fix my lack. I need somebody to make up for the missing parts. I'm incomplete. I need somebody to save me. But come on, you guys. How many of you know that Jesus already saved you? He he doesn't need any help. You don't need any other person to come along in order to save you. You are created in God's image. You are a full and complete person. You are valid and valuable, even if you've been single for 30 years. Do not buy into the myth that singles are incomplete. In Jesus, you are not incomplete. It's so good. And, um, you know, let's keep going into these next myths. So myth number two, singles are waiting. (laughs) How many of you guys feel like you are in a waiting period? I do. Maybe you are. Yeah, like, maybe you're single. For, but, I got my person, but there are other things. But, I'm but for. maybe, uh, maybe you got a diagnosis and you're mm. waiting for a cure. Yeah. Maybe you've been struggling with infertility. Maybe you wrote something out on the crazy faith wall, and you see other people's, you know, crazy faith is being checked off and answered, and you're still waiting. 
still praying. Mm-hmm. And and let me tell you, singles are not waiting. Yeah. You know, sometimes it feels like being single, you're waiting for that right person to show up. And you see like all your friends that you graduated high school with, they're getting married, they're buying houses, they're having kids. And you feel like your life is in, you know, slow motion and their life is like in fast forward. Yeah. It's like a podcast, you know, where you can hit like the button and it goes to 1.5 speed. You're like, either somebody bumped them up to 1.5 or they bumped me down to 0.5, but either way, we're not moving at the same rate here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That I, listen, I think we've all experienced that feeling, whether it's waiting for our, our spouse or waiting for kids or waiting to buy a house or to get the promotion or whatever, there is this season of waiting. And there was a time right in history, even not so long ago, that big being a single meant that you had to wait. You were telling right. me some interesting things and that I honestly didn't even realize. It's just so fascinating, you guys, because we, we get this, if you realize, from our parents, like our parents in their generation, in their lifetime, like women, until they were married, they were not able to open a bank account or a credit card. Like, how crazy is that? Like, if we can really wrap our minds around how different right now is from just when our parents mm-hmm. were being raised. It's like and Mad so, Men stuff, you know? It's yes. like, oh, bring your husband back with you and we can handle this. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> and so never have we lived in a time or space where you can be independent. Women, mm-hmm. you can be independent. You don't have to wait for yeah. your life to start going. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? I just want to celebrate just for a second, like, because there there's a couple in the room that I just have to celebrate right now. Devin and Candace. Oh, front row. What's so, up? Devin listen, and Candace. So good to see you guys. We're very so glad awesome. you're here, Devin. So Devin and Candace got married a year ago in Jamaica, and they were waiting for Devin's PR to come through, and the government is just running on super slow mode right now. And so, yeah. yeah. And it took forever to get that PR to come through. But here's what I want to celebrate. I know this couple. We did premarital counseling with this couple and I know that their life wasn't on the waiting yeah, so good. like they they wanted to be together for sure but you know what Candace working getting an apartment moving forward like her life was not on hold until yeah. her husband got here to Canada so but so now good. it is just at a different level it is in a different journey now that he is in the country with her and that is we just yeah one more shout for Candace and Woo-hoo. Devin because they're finally together we've been praying for Devin to get it's here so and good. get the the permission and paperwork and all that stuff for a while. And so we praise the Lord for for granting that. Here's the truth. You do not need to wait for your spouse or your person to show up in order for your life to begin. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 7. So we'll jump into the New Testament for a moment. 1 Corinthians 7, there's an interesting kind of thing that's happening in the world. This is in the first century. It's after Jesus has been crucified and ascended back into heaven. And the church is really struggling. They're struggling because the world around them is severely persecuting Christians. They're literally arresting them, throwing them in jail, and then killing them because of their faith. It was illegal at this time in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. And so there were, uh, there were churches all over the Mediterranean region that were writing to the Apostle Paul, and they were saying, hey, given everything that's going on, what should we be doing? And they start the, the uh, Corinthian church starts asking these questions about relationships and love and dating and sex and marriage. You guys, like 1 Corinthians 7 is raw. You guys don't even know the stuff that's in there until you go read it. That's why you should read your Bible. It will surprise you. So anyway... They're asking the Apostle Paul these questions, and Paul is essentially telling them, hey, we live in a very unique time. 
Okay, We live in a time in which it is difficult to be a Christian. It's difficult to have a family because you don't know if you're going to be arrested and thrown in jail. You don't know if your life is going to end at any point soon. So he starts to give them all these instructions, and he basically says to them, hey, given our current circumstances, I think it's best that everybody remain in whatever situation you're in. So if you're single, just stay single because if you try to get married right now, listen, there are pressures and forces that might really make that difficult for you. And if you're married, then don't try to break up your marriage and run away and be free or anything like that, like stay where God has called you, all right? He goes on to say in this passage, so we'll read verse 7 and verse 17. He says here, each of you, this is what I just mentioned, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. Now, I want to pause here. I don't want you to ever read this. Remember, we talked in our How Not to Read the Bible series, and we said you've got to understand the cultural context of what's going on, because otherwise you might read this, and it's like, oh, God is saying if you're single, you better stay single, and if you got married, you better stay married. No, we're talking about a particular time in history in which there were circumstances that merited this kind of instruction. Then Paul goes on to say this. He says, for the Lord has placed you, uh, I'm sorry, for each person has received a special gift from God of one kind or another. And when he talks about gift there, he's referring to either single, engaged, or married in context. That's what he's talking about. This is where the whole line, singleness is a gift, y'all. Singleness is a gift. That's where it comes from. It's actually in the Bible, though I think we completely misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is saying. Actually, when we announced we were doing this series, somebody in our church sent me a message or they commented on a Facebook post we made and they were like, so are we going to get the whole singleness as a gift talk? And the answer is yes, but not maybe the way that you've had it before, okay? So notice here that Paul does call the state of singleness and the state of marriage and the state of engagement a gift from God. Let's talk a little bit about that word gift. In Greek, that word gift is literally charisma. Charisma. Now, we get an English word charisma, right? We, we get that from Greek. It's not really the same meaning. That word charisma in Greek means grace gift, a gift that is given by the grace of God. It is the same word that's used to describe miraculous and sign gifts throughout the Bible, speaking in tongues, prophecy and knowledge. Those were all charisma, a gift of mercy, a gift of faith. Those are all charisma, charis gifts, grace gifts from God. So what I want you to understand here is that whether you're married or you're single, you do have a unique gift from God. You have a unique set of opportunities that are in front of you. And once you transition from one state to another, whether you're married and then you decide the marriage is over and now you're a single, or you're single and you decide you want to get married, once you transition from one state to another, the unique gifts that were in front of you or available to you have passed. Now there's a new set that comes along. So what Paul's point here is whatever state you happen to find yourself in, you do need to recognize the opportunities that are in front of you. There are special responsibilities and special advantages in whichever state you find yourself in. So don't overlook the value of your current circumstances. Right. Yeah. You're not in a season of waiting. You're in a season of gifting. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that singleness is the gift, right. but that singleness enables you to discover the unique gifts yes. that are only available available to single people. Hey, are you right? listening? Are you listening to what she just said? Singleness is not a gift because Paul says marriage is a gift and engagement is a gift. All right. So the singleness is not the gift. It's right. the opportunities that are available to you as a single person mm -hmm. that are a gift. Mm -hmm. It's the opportunities that are available to you as a married person that are themselves a gift. So it's not the singleness. It's the, the new 
opportunities that God places in front of you in that season. Yeah. A lot of you guys know that we've been walking through an infertility journey for Mm -hmm. like over 10 years now. And is infertility our gift? No, but I think that God has opened our eyes and then we can see clearly that he has gifted us in this season. There are things that we are able to do. I truly believe that Connect Church would not exist if we were given children when we lived in Florida. I think that my mindset was so consumed with I need to make a home and I need to create that home for our family. And I'm not going to go into the unknown where I don't know anybody and have no family. Like there was no way. What if our baby freezes? We can't take this kid to Canada. (laughs) I'm not going to live in an igloo with the family. Like, seriously, Americans have the wrong mindset. But, like, you guys, it took us years, years to understand this. So if we can leave you with this wisdom, please walk out of here with this. Like, just because you feel like you're in this weird season of waiting and it's not a gift, you're, you're, you're getting it all wrong. There is a gift that God has given you while you are just patiently looking forward to when he does bless you with what yeah. you're praying for. Maybe we could phrase it like this. We often, I'm, I'm just kind of, this is forming in my mind in the moment. We often look at the other season of life and say, oh, that's where the gifts are. If mm. you're single, you're like, oh, the gifts are married people. They get to do it and they get to go on vacation <laughs> together and they get to, you know. And then when you're married, oftentimes you look at the single season, and you're like, that's where the gifts were. You guys don't, I mean, they don't need a babysitter. Yeah. So we look at the other season as if that's where the gifts are. And Paul's point here is no, every season you find yourself in is a gift from God. Yes. If you can look at it from the right perspective. Yes. And and when you can understand this, when it really soaks in, then you can understand and not live in that season of jealousy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not walking into Mother's Day ticked off. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to shut down my social media, but instead I am celebrating every single mom. And I see the hardship that they walk through and the sacrifice that it takes to raise children. And I celebrate them in such a huge way. And the same can be true if you're single. You do not have to turn off your social media when it's Valentine's Day. (laughs) You can celebrate that married couple or that engaged couple or whatever that looks like and say, you know what? Like they're going through a journey. And man, the people who've been married for 20, 30, 40 years, they had some hardship. And I'm going to celebrate that they made it through that. I'm not going to say, woe is me, and my life hasn't started yet, but I'm going to celebrate the people around me because even in your social media bubble, those are the people that God has surrounded you with. And so instead of having this mindset of jealousy, and I'm not there yet, or I might not ever be there, you're, you're missing the point of what God is trying to do right here, right now, in the present moment. Don't wait until it happens in the future. Your life, your calling is right here, right now. God might have something new for you in the future, Mm. but he has something for you right here, right now. And so live in the present moment, celebrate the people around you and celebrate where you are. Yeah. That actually leads really well into myth number three, the final one that we'll address this morning. The third myth is singles are alone. So we said singles are incomplete, singles are waiting, singles are alone. And this is probably the biggest myth of all. Last week, one of my Facebook friends, posted, well, I'm alone again on Valentine's Day. And how often have we heard somebody say who's single, you know, boy, I wish I had somebody to travel with or to, you know, spend the night with or whatever it might be. I'm just tired of being alone. Hey, can I let you in on a little secret? 
it's totally possible to be married and still feel very alone. Oh, see, now all the married people got real vocal. And all the singles are like, maybe y'all, but not my relationship. No. Yes, it is. It is totally possible to be married and feel very alone. In fact, the the pandemic has expanded this isolation that we're all feeling. Everybody feels like we're disconnected and distanced from the people that are around us. But what we want to realize is that even without a romantic partner, every single one of us has opportunities to have meaningful, life-giving relationships each and every day. You have family. You have friends. You have coworkers and neighbors, and hey, you've got a church around you as well. Uh, If I'm just going to be real here, I'll say the only people in 2022 who are truly alone are the ones who are living in a Unabomber shack in the woods, all right? (laughs) Because if you look around the room this morning, guess what? You're surrounded by hundreds of people that could have a great friendship with you, or you might develop a business partnership with. Hey, there might even be a romantic partner somewhere around you right here in the church. So listen, if you leave this room this morning feeling alone, that's on you. Because there are more than enough people here to find a relationship, a friendship, or more in this room. I saw a meme the other day, right? Like memes are a love language, you guys. Memes are a love language. And uh, I saw a meme the other day that perfectly illustrates this. Let's put it on the screen here. It says, me, why haven't I made any friends at church? Me, when the church ends, zoom, out the door, pushing people, tripping people. Get to the car as fast as you possibly can, right? Look, the the scripture says somebody who wants friends needs to show themselves friendly. And if you find yourself lonely, the answer may not be a romantic partner. The answer might be more solid platonic friendships. Maybe with the opposite sex even. Hello, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. Yeah, it's going to be good. (laughs) You are surrounded by opportunities for healthy relationships. And so if you find yourself alone because you don't have a romantic partner, you need to reframe what it is that you're going through, all right? Um, And let let me remind you guys, just because I can, um, that there are opportunities for you to find those sorts of relationships right here. We've got connect groups that are meeting every single week. And the value of the connect group is the relationships that are built. I'm leading an alpha group on Thursdays. I had 20 people in a room together and we were chatting and I asked them all, why are you here? What are you looking forward to about this group? Why'd you sign up for this one instead of board games or something else? And they said, well, I really want to learn more about the faith. And I said, that's awesome. I want you to leave here knowing more about the faith too. But can I tell you the real value in the alpha group are the friendships that you're going to build with one another. Can I tell you, Sunday services can be amazing, but the real gold that you'll find are the relationships that, with the people that you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with. Yes. And so pursue those kind of relationships, both in connect groups, also on the dream team. Yes, on the dream team. Like, that's what I love about, I'm, I am so close with every single band member because we serve together on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And when you make a difference, when you lead in worship with other people, when you, when you help usher in the presence of God into a place, you're doing such a big thing together and that unites you that builds relationships. And and when I serve out there um, at Guest Center and I'm meeting people for the first time, I celebrate that, but I'm serving alongside someone else and I get to know them 
in a different way. It's why we have a dream team central upstairs. Yeah. Some of y'all don't even know we have that. <laughs> we have a food team. They make food. People hang out when they're, it's like, like, okay, they held signs at the door, but then in the, in the intermediate time, they go upstairs, they have some food and they get to know each other. And so this is opportunity. The reason we have our church structured this way is to help you connect. Yeah. Oh, it's in the name. Let me put it like this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let me put it to you like this. The best version of you is surrounded by godly yes. people. Yes. The best version of you is not you all by yourself with superhero cape on, conquering the world, you know, you against the odds. No, the best version of you is surrounded by godly people. And there are plenty of opportunities for that. So singles are not alone. The loneliness is our worst counselor. And sometimes loneliness is our only counselor, right? Like we lean on our own understanding, our own thoughts, our own ways, but that's contradictory to what the Bible says, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it says that we need to trust in Jesus. Trust in God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Not our ways, not our loneliness, not our circumstance, but trust in what God is doing. Yeah, we want to just quickly, because um, we're wrapping up the message here, and before we do, I want to highlight a couple of resources for those of you guys that are single. So we'll put them here on the screen. You might want to snap a photo or you know Google them or something like that. Um, the first one is the book Relationship Goals by Pastor Mike Todd. Um, part of his material is what kind of gave rise to what we're doing this month. Um, and then there's another great book called Single and Secure by Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. So we highly encourage you to check those out, all right? They will be helpful to you in learning mm -hmm. that these myths are not true. They will help you to appreciate the season that you're in, even as you wait and want for the next season to come along. It's okay to do that, but you want to keep the right mindset and perspective. Especially if you're single, the Single and Secure book. I don't know how I got a copy of it somehow. I have it, but it launches this week, so oh, I got it ahead of... That's a that's a flex, bro. You're like, I just get I advanced know, I copies. Got it, I got it. But anyway, oh, anyway, All right, like, besides, let's, it's we really got We got to wrap up here. Besides, okay, so like one final thing I want to say. Um, <laughs> Singles are alone. That's a myth because in reality, it's impossible to be alone. It's impossible to be truly alone. What, is, what does God say in Deuteronomy? I will never leave you. What does Jesus say in Matthew 18 or 28 rather? I am with you always. Okay. So like you're never alone. Even if you're not surrounded by other people, there is a God who is there with you. He's for you. He's present. You can find relational satisfaction in God even when you do not find relational satisfaction in the people who are around you. And speaking of Jesus, let's not forget, you guys, that our Savior was single his whole life. Yes. Despite what the Da Vinci Code might have tried to tell you, uh, that made for a good story, but it was flat false. Jesus was single his entire life. God does not share the same negative view of singleness that our world seems to. Because his son stayed single. His son was not incomplete because he was single. His son was not waiting to make a difference because he was single. The, the Savior was not alone. He was surrounded by the most meaningful relationships imaginable. Listen, if there was anyone in history who was secure in their singleness, it's Jesus. And that means if there's anyone who's capable of leading you through your singleness, it's Jesus. So stop listening to the voices in the world around you and start listening to the one who truly can give you meaning and purpose and hope in this season of your life. 
So if you're, you're sitting in here and you're thinking, well, this is all on my shoulders. I need to figure out how to feel complete. And I need to figure out how to not feel alone. And, and all of these things that we've been talking about, and you're like, but, but this is on my shoulders. I'm carrying this weight now. Thanks for the good tips. <laughs> you're, you're walking out of here with the wrong idea. Yeah. You, you have to lay it down and give it to Jesus. It is not your burden to carry. Right. It's not your job to carry it. It's not your job to figure out every single issue and problem. And, and so I just want to take a moment and give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never laid it down and given it to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask everybody, just let's bow our heads for a moment. We'll close our eyes just out of respect for other people who are in this moment and really um, seeking and searching. And if you would, in your heart, just pray this with me. God, I thank you that I don't have to carry this alone. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his grace, his freedom, and his gift that he offers by his blood. And today, I give it all to you. I'm not going to carry it on my own anymore. And God, I just put it in your hands, and I follow your ways from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, we want to welcome you into the family of God. Abby is going to be giving you some next steps that you can take, but know that whatever season of life you find yourself in, we're praying for you. Next week, we're going to be covering dating in 2022 from a godly perspective, and then we'll move on to engagement, marriage, sex, all that good stuff in the weeks to come.